What's Underneath is a CastBox original produced in partnership with Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all of your favorite podcasts. You can listen to What's Underneath wherever you get your podcasts, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot and see for yourself. Hello and welcome to What's Underneath, the podcast that will inspire radical self-acceptance through empowering you to embrace what's unrepeatable in you. I'm Lily Mandelbaum, and sitting next to me is my mom, Elisa Goodkind. And we are Style Like You. In our new podcast, we are going to expand the types of intimate, unfiltered conversations we've been having in our viral video series, The What's Underneath Project. Each week, we will interview diverse nonconformists about their relationship to style, self-image, and identity. Being radically honest without shame and holding that honesty with compassion is self-acceptance. Really, really happy to be here with Io Tillett-Wright, who we did a What's Underneath interview on about four years ago. And, you know, what we're really talented at is picking out the thought leaders, the people that we believe deserve to be celebrated in this society right now, the ones that really inspire us to be much better people and much happier people. And they are like members of our family, you know, critical members of our community, of our day-to-day lives. They live in our hearts with everything that they say and everything that they do. Io is one of them. Thank you. He has been doing this incredible project called Self-Evident Truths where he photographs everyone, and you can correct me on this, but everyone who does not identify as completely straight across America Mm -hmm. and has been doing that for Eight years. Eight years. And so you, we can maybe, you can just maybe talk a little bit about where you are with that right now. Sure. Basically, Self-Evident is a document of 10,000 people in the United States, either natively or at that moment or whatever, who um, identify as anything other than 100% straight or 100% cisgender in all 50 states. Um, and when I have 10,000, I'm going to go to the National Mall and do an installation in front of the Washington Monument and just ask people to confront the humanity of the community that now, once again, and throughout all of history, has people have been trying to erase. And so in 2020, um, we were supposed to be included, LGBT people were supposed to be included in the uh, census, and we're not going to be included in the census. Thank you, Mr. Trump. So we, I want to shift the focus to this idea of like, oh, no, no, we count. You cannot erase us. Um, so now I'm at 9,675 wow. people wow. in all 50 states. So wow. I literally have 325 left who are kind of reserved for my stupid friends who haven't done it yet, or <laughs> I'm looking at everyone in this room, right? or uh, <laughs> like VIP type people like RuPaul or whatever, people who without whom I, I couldn't say I've really photographed like the icons and the important like bedrocks of people who've changed visibility for queer people. So I remember right from the very beginning, just the very idea um, that you're photographing anyone who does not identify as 100% cisgender made me think in the moment, like and straight or straight or straight that what wait, like yeah. I'm not really sure. Like, I don't know where I belong in that. Mm hmm. I've seen a lot of existential crises unfold in front of me. Like what? Just people being like, wait, I don't understand. Because the release form has, like, in the beginning, I didn't really understand what I was doing. I just kind of was like, I need to contribute something to this problem. Because Prop 8 happened, and I 
I grew up on Third Street in the Bowery. Like, I wasn't really confronted with the idea of being a second-class citizen. And I'm white. Like, I'm Jewish, but, like, whatever. You know, I wasn't confronted with being a second-class citizen until Prop 8 happened. And around 2010, I was asked to be a part of a art show in L.A. that was called Manifest Equality. And it was, like, 170 artists in this big room. And it was to generate awareness and attention around LGBT issues. At that point, it was just mostly people were focused on gay issues Mm -hmm. and I was whatever we'll get into my like gender journey at some point but I was in a relationship with a woman had a vagina at the very least and was like oh shit this means that I legally am a second-class citizen what the fuck and I was I was like this exhibition is awesome but anybody who shows up to a room full of queer stuff about queer people for queer people is already going to know where they stand on this issue. What do we do about the people who are against us? Who are these people and what's the disconnect between us and them? And if they could see the people, like, what do they think that we're doing? They associate homosexuality with pedophilia. They associate, like, who knows, perversion, because that's what the common language has been throughout history. If they could meet the people that I knew and they could understand how boring and regular we are or how freaky and weird and interesting but loving we are, something that might shift and create some empathy for them because whatever fantasy they've been told about what we do is false. And so I decided to just try to like introduce people the best way that I knew how, which at that point I was a fine art photographer and I was like, I'm pretty good at taking a portrait of someone. Why don't I just do this? And so in the beginning, it was like, I want to photograph anybody who is anywhere on the LGBT spectrum, but I didn't really know anything about trans issues, despite the fact that I had been a trans child and was transgender my whole life. I didn't, it wasn't a community that I was part of, it wasn't a conversation I was having, and I learned about it through the project, and it really started to become more and more important as LGB people started to get all these rights, and trans people didn't. And as I learned more and more about it, it started to become super, super important for me to represent that end of the spectrum because they weren't being represented elsewhere. So anyway, the um, it developed from, I don't know, I want to shoot 500 people or maybe 1,000 people to, oh, I got to shoot a lot of people mm. to, oh, I need to photograph 10,000 people for me to be able to say this is actually representative of any kind of cross-section of humanity in this country. Mm-hmm. And it has to be all 50 states. It has to be national and it has to be an American like an iconic American venue. And so I had this fantasy of standing where Martin Luther King gave the I Have a Dream speech and being like, I have a dream too, you know? Wow. I didn't know that. But that's amazing. I mean, talk about an ego on somebody to have that thought, but... No. (laughs) Sorry, but I No, but I think that those dreams and imaginations are important. I've learned that it doesn't... Part of the eight years of this... There's been a lot of like, like I did a TED talk in 2012 and I did this with you guys and I've had these moments that have given it this like shine and platform that have positioned me as like a voice for a certain part of the world or a certain part of humanity and a big learning curve that I've gone through over the last eight years. I'm 32 so I started this when I was 24 and like you're a young bullheaded Mm -hmm. kid and I've learned the value, especially through the, the, relevance of Black Lives Matter and all of this stuff. When I started this, I was like, this is a civil rights fight of my generation. That has consequently changed. That is not the case anymore. This is not the civil rights fight of our generation anymore. And that's a huge shift. 
And I've learned mm-hmm. and started to try to really internalize the power of if you are given a platform as a white person of any denomination, hand it over. So my vision mm-hmm. of like me standing on the spot where Martin Luther King gave the I Have a Dream speech has changed where it's like I might be standing there behind somebody else and that will be just as powerful and just as important because if I can create that platform and give it to somebody who would not necessarily be able to create that platform for themselves for whatever reason, then I've done my job. Like I've learned so much in the last eight years. I mean, I can't even imagine. You've been literally in every state? Every single state in this country. And the amount of people, I mean... It's a lot of fucking people. I mean... We used to call it Got to hear like what are some of the what are some of the most monumental memories things that you you know what stands out. There was, I mean, there are a lot of different archetypal experiences. Like the mom in South Carolina who came with her trans daughter, and you could tell she was just like what we were at. uh, What the fuck was the city called? I'm so bad. I have like a swear of a hole in my head that memories leak out of. Whatever, Columbia, South Carolina, Pride, which I couldn't believe existed, and then was subsequently huge. And this woman was just kind of baffled by the whole thing and was just like, this place is so, I wow, all these were just, geez, you know? And then she was there with her daughter who was trans and had like just come out a year or two ago. And she told me about how she came out to her parents, her daughter, and her dad was just like, fuck you, you're a faggot, I don't want anything to do with you, you're my son, you're always going to be my son, had no understanding for it, and was abusive to the girl, and the mom left him. Mm. And she's like, fuck that, like, this is my child, and I'm going to protect my child as she exists, and I was really, you know, there's a lot of those. Um, I think also because of the journey that I was on, and like the weird explorations I was doing with myself, there was a woman in Maryland who was at a university that I was speaking at who she was had cerebral palsy and she was in a wheelchair and she told me basically that I believe she was from Guatemala I think she's from Guatemala and she was first generation immigrant and her whole family had moved here and she'd started to need a wheelchair at the age of 15 and they I'm gonna try and get as many of these facts right but as I can but the emotion of it it was the first time I cried in all of the years of doing the project. She basically was like, started to need a wheelchair at 15 and her family couldn't handle that and didn't like that. And so they just kind of left her in the apartment to fend for herself. And she would like drag herself around by the arms, which she could at that point still use and like pull herself into the shower. And her family was like blue collar workers and they despised that fact. And then she came out as trans when she was in high school and they started to make arrangements to t- ship her back to Guatemala. And she she said to me, oh what that means for a working family from Guatemala is if you can't work and you're seen as some kind of sick pervert, if I'd gotten on that plane, they would have wheeled me out into a field and dumped me out of my wheelchair and left me to die. And Whoa. she got, I believe, her guidance counselor in her school adopted her and managed to keep her in the United States until she turned 18 and could emancipate herself. And she then started taking her hormones and she had begun to transition and she was now in college that she had gotten herself a scholarship to and she lived in an apartment with her friend. And she looked at me and she told me that prednisone um, is counteracted, which is the only thing that staves off the progression of cerebral palsy. 
is counteracted by the hormones that she was on for her transition. So effectively what that means in layman's terms is that it speeds up the imminent arrival of her death due to her disease. And it was more important to her to take her hormones and live a shorter life as her real self than it was to live a longer life in the body that didn't belong to her. Wow. If that doesn't say everything, I don't know what does. I hadn't come out as trans yet, and I was What sobbing. year was this? Or like I came out three years ago, so it would have probably been three and a half years ago. And I just looked at her at that point and was just like, how could anybody ever tell this person that they aren't exactly what they say they are? They are literally willing to die sooner to be able to live as their real selves, what they perceive as their real selves. How the fuck is anybody going to tell you what you're supposed to do with your own body? Well, I mean, first of all, that is the most incredible story. There is nothing more important than nothing more important than being your than being who you are and like who you're supposed to be in your body in this life. So, um, if 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 we could all you know come from that place, there would be a completely different world. Since I came out as trans, that is the first time in my life I can say that I've really dis- experienced discrimination. And I've been battling it every single day, all day long, for the, since the second I came out publicly as trans. Can, Can you, you give, give us details? some examples? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would, rather than giving you like a specific anecdote, which I could give you 40,000, it's this sensation, this like overwhelming understanding of the fact that the people who are supposed to be my people radical whatever's liberal this queer that have no idea by and large 85% I would say of the people that I deal with on a daily basis who supposedly share my politics have no vindictive instinct towards me have no malice but do not understand what they are dealing with and therefore constantly there are microaggressions that I have to just sidestep and not get upset about and not get resentful about and I realize I will never under- understand the experience of being black in the United States. I will never understand that. I, I would never claim to understand that. But I am learning. I look at black people differently now where I'm like, my God, like the level of shit that you have to deal with on a daily basis and you have to let go of to not be mm-hmm. a miserable, angry human being mm-hmm. on a daily basis and to still greet people with open arms mm-hmm. is fucking remarkable. It is unbelievable. And so I understand now because like, I feel never in my life have I had less of a feeling of community than being trans because there are all these people out there who are like, I fight for queer rights. And I'm like, motherfucker, you don't even know what I'm dealing with. Like, you don't even understand. And you say LGBT because that's what you're supposed to say. But what you're really talking about is LGB. So, I mean, I know that I know that you don't want to, like, give specific examples of what people have said to you or 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 the microaggressions that you experience. But when you you've said a few times, you have no idea what I'm going through. Like, can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that? Um, Well, I, first of all, believe that LGB and T are totally separate things. I think that what you do with another person with your body is one thing and what you do within your own body and your understanding of who you are are completely separate things. Mm -hmm. And I think the only reason that they're lumped together is because they're in opposition to heteronormativity. Mm -hmm. And that's a great disservice because 
there are two completely different things. Trans people have to deal with what we feel in our own bodies and what our experiences mm-hmm. of that. And then we also have to deal with who we want to sleep with mm-hmm. or if we want to sleep with people and what that looks like. And then what's our identity in regards to that? And am I a gay man now because I'm attracted to men, but I have a vagina and oh my God, it's a whole other fucking web of confusion that you also have to deal with as a trans person if you choose to, whatever. But um, I went, so like three years ago, I was on a plane with my, it was more than that, it was like three and a half years ago, I was on a plane with my assistant for Self Evident, who is this like 6'2", very flamboyant gay man, Tyler. And Tyler always wears nail polish, and Tyler will sometimes do drag, and Tyler's traveled with me to probably 35 states, and he was 22 or something when I recruited this poor kid and like flipped his life upside down. Anyway, Tyler and I were on a plane and we had a layover in either Atlanta or Washington DC. I still covet those airports because of it. And he, we were on a plane and I was reading GQ and he was reading Cosmo with Katy Perry on the cover, (laughs) of course. And he looks at me and he goes, do you see yourself in those guys? And I'd never really been asked the question before. And I was like, well, yeah, like, I guess, of course, don't you see yourself in Katy Perry? And he was like, no. And just like kind of put the thought away. And then we got off and we were on our layover. And I remember we were on this, like those like moving conveyor belts of humans. And he was like, can I ask you something? Like when you go to bed at night and it's just you and like you're done with your like societal performance of your identity. He's like, cause I'm like a six two gay man and like I'll wear nail polish and I'll be like, oh girl, you know, like whatever all day long. But when I go to bed at night and it's just me and my body and I turn out the lights, I'm very clear on the fact that I'm a man. Mm-hmm. When you go to bed at night, what happens to you? Mm-hmm. And my fucking brain exploded. I became that emoji where it's just like, <laughs> I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Is that the criteria? And I just, like, I don't know if a deeper thought has ever happened on one of those human conveyor belts. I was just like, oh my God, my entire life. I've always, if you just are asking me about how I feel with my own body, I've always been very clear on the fact that I'm a man. Always. Mm -hmm. The only discrepancy is when I look in a mirror. Then I'm always confronted with this thing where I'm like, what are you doing there? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Mm. And every time I was like, I was on this pretty bad MTV show for a while, and every day at the end of the day, they would send, it was around that same time, they would send like stills of the day so that I wouldn't repeat my outfits. And I remember the discrepancy between waking up in the morning and getting dressed and looking at myself in the mirror through my own mental, you know, rose-colored glasses, and then looking at the pictures at the end of the day and being like, who's that? What are those tits? What the fuck is that spindly neck? Where's the beard? Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that I saw those things in the mirror, but I realized that how I looked had nothing to do with how I felt. So in that moment, I just was like, oh my God, Tyler, I think I'm trans. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I think you might be. Mm-hmm. And his face, he was just like, Ah, you know and I was immediately we sat on the next flight and I sat different I was like wait you mean like I don't have to sit here and like puff my chest out to make sure people see that I have boobs and stop calling me sir 
Like, I don't have to, like, cross my legs and, like, perform this, like, feminized version of something to try to, like, make myself pass more as this thing that I don't even feel that I am in the first mm-hmm. place. So you used to actually be frustrated by people or uh, yeah. you think you, you thought you should be frustrated by people calling you sir because you thought that yep. that was the wrong thing. Can you believe that shit? That's fascinating. What's so fascinating is that you did tell this a version of the story in What's Underneath that I distinctly remember and you were you but you told it in a way that was more like you were questioning it was it was it wasn't yeah you saw it live and in color like, yeah it was live and in color wondering. and it's like the perfect amount of time now to talk to you now yeah. because what's happened totally it's mm-hmm. that like that was your moment that was the moment it every was right time that. somebody talks to me about what's underneath because it involves me taking off my clothes and showing my body and specifically talking about my identity what you guys do has obviously, and you know this, a huge impact on young people who are figuring out who they are. And so a lot of times if I go to speak at a college or something, kids will be like, oh yeah, like I grew up with you in a way. Mm-hmm. Like in my teen years, like I saw all these different things that you did and I always panic because I'm like, what the fuck did I say in the what's mm-hmm. underneath thing about who I am and how I see myself? And then I went back and I watched it and I was like, oh, was I, was, good. I was very was honest. Good. Like I, I felt like a man on the inside, but I didn't know and I don't identify with what I see as trans culture, I don't identify with a lot of the trans people that I see. So the full circle thing is, I was like, oh, holy shit, I called both my parents, I called my dad, and he goes, well, yeah, you have been expressing this since you were four, and all I ask (laughs) is that you, and I was like, two, actually, all I ask is that you wait and like really sit with it before you do anything surgical or medical. That's irreversible. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want you to really be sure and not mm-hmm. be rash. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I totally respect that. Like, that's totally. And actually, the first time I told him, I think this might be what's going on. He said in text message after <laughs> the, my first real in-depth conversation with a trans man, I was like, Dad, this feels like me. And he said, I don't understand what that means. I don't know anything about trans issues and I don't know what that looks like, but I'm going to go research and I'm going to learn and whatever you are, you are my kind. I am super excited to try Boy Briefs products from Tomboy X. Tomboy X promises underwear that is made to fit you and how you see yourself. Tomboy X offers bikinis, briefs, boxer briefs, trunks, and boy shorts, as well as soft bras and racer back bras. Everything comes in everyday basic colors and fun seasonal prints. Wherever you fall on the size or gender spectrum, Tomboy X offers amazing underwear that anybody can feel comfortable in. Go to TomboyX.com slash style, S-T-Y-L-E, and check out their special bundles and pack pricing. And what's underneath listeners get an extra 15% off with code style. Again, code style for an extra 15% off. Go to TomboyX.com slash style. One of the things among the many things that have stuck with me that you said during the What's Underneath interview is, you know, how amazing your parents were to you at a very early age. That changed. They fucked up. They fucked up big. I call my mom and I'm like, yo, ma, I think I figured out like what's been going on with me. And I think I was right when I was a tiny child. Like, I think I'm a man. And she fucking panicked. She totally freaked out. She was like, you're going to have back hair. You're going to have two-inch-long nose hairs. You're going to get cancer and Mm -hmm. just spewed all the shit on me. And I sat there and was like, wow, this is actually happening right now. Like, I have now joined the legions of people who've had an awful coming-out experience. And until 
I think I want to say it's been three summers and until two months ago we were like oh she's a lost cause because she was just like she 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 wouldn't call you here you, you mean refused yeah. and was like I can't it's my kid I'm not doing it Whoa. wow and I was like what the fuck like what and I then I pressed her and I was like when I was a kid what was that about and she was like that was performance art Hmm. And I was like, wow, man, like my because whole... Because can you tell for the listeners that don't know, can you tell like what you mean by when you were a kid? I lived as a boy from the age of 6 to 14, full-time mask fused to the face. Like there was no, I was a boy. And my mom... Like people called you he then. Yeah, like yeah. everybody in school, I'd get fights. You in were in fights. like the boys' lines. Like, like I was a boy. Like yeah. there's no, there was no question. If you looked right. at me, there was no question. Voices hadn't dropped yet. There right. was like none of those things. Right. So it was just, that's a little boy, period, the mm-hmm. end. Mm-hmm. I played only boys in all the movies I was in until I was 17. Like I was a boy, mm-hmm. top to bottom, no question. And your parents were cool with it at the time, it seemed. Well, it <laughs> seemed. And I started to ask my dad, like, what the fuck is this about? And he was like, well, you know, and I was like, she was totally cool with that when I was a kid. And he was like, eh. I was like, What? And she basically revealed to me that she saw it as me playing another role. And I was like, holy shit. My whole narrative all this time. My mm-hmm. mom, like, for those who don't know my ad nauseum explained story, which is that my mom was on a lot of different drugs and alcohol at different points. And there was, like, not electricity in the house. And I grew up in extreme poverty on Third Street in the Bowery. And, like, it was me and her in a lot of really dark situations with not a lot of food. And the narrative was always, you know, for all that my parents fucked up and everything that they got wrong, the one thing they always got unequivocally right was that they accepted me for who I was. That is a line I have repeated hundreds of times because I wrote a memoir and had to talk about it. And that was the reason, the hook that they got off on. And I was like, you know, mom, you don't really have a whole lot going for you if you fuck this up. Mm. And she did until very, very recently. And my dad... Also fucked it up for two straight years. What um, what happened recently that changed things? Well, with my dad... Um, Wait, it, how did your dad fuck it up? Okay, first She, that. she, 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 oh. she, she. And like from a sense of refusing versus just like yeah. messing it up here and, and there. And trying to cram my experience into an ideology for him that would make sense. Which was? And saying things to me like you don't need to buy into this bullshit system of a binary and like you're more radical than that and like if you come down the stairs wearing a beanie and a beard one day for Christmas I'm gonna be fucking nauseated because I don't like men and things like that which are like funny in the moment but then you're like wait but that's like actually a really awful thing to say to somebody who's telling you who they are that's really fucking hard for them to figure out anyway and at some point I put my foot down and I was like, yo, like it's been two years of you saying you're trying to figure out how to get the pronouns right. And like you used to be my best friend and you are the number one person who everyone else is going to look to to figure out how they should refer to me. And you're out here going, well, I was talking to this person and, you know, I just used she so that they would understand who I was talking about. But I try to use she when I, well, he when I'm talking to you and, da, da. and I'm like, fuck you. And then he said to me on the phone one day, we got in a fight where I was like, you are erasing me. And he was like, you're a petulant millennial who just needs everyone to bow to their ideology and you're forcing um, your politics and your demands down everyone around you's throat. And I hung up on him and I didn't talk to him for four months. Wow. And my dad was my best friend. Wow. 
How, so how is how did how did this period of time affect you? It's excruciating. It's excruciating to feel like you don't have. I grew up with a a mom who was more my charge than my protector. She was or my provider. She was a very fierce protector, but didn't provide for me in any kind of normal sense, and had a narcissistic form of life that didn't allow her to ever see me so I really needed my dad to be the stable one and to have like any semblance of real love yeah to like actually show up for me to see me see you and he destroyed that with this because he truly could not understand what he was dealing with And I was still figuring out the language for what I was dealing with. And what I was saying was, I just need you. I can't fucking sit here and have a discourse with you about why I need you to call me he. But I'm telling you that it's sandpaper on my skin when you call me she. And I just need you to fucking listen to me and have my back. And he couldn't. And he wouldn't. And it broke my heart. And so after four months, four and a half months, we decided to like try to see each other I came to New York and I was like I was going through a fucked up breakup with someone who decided nine months into a very committed relationship that oh lo and behold she couldn't be with a trans person and I came to New York and I was like I'm devastated because I am now losing everything because of this I've lost my relationship with my parents this person that I thought I was going to be in a serious committed relationship with just cheated on me with a cis woman and left me because she needs to be with women. And my book got completely co-opted by the narrative of me as a trans author rather than me as a fucking author or a survivor or any of the things that my book is about because it's not about me being trans. It's a part of it, but it's not a book about me being trans. And everything is going to shit because I decided to tell the world who I really was. And I really need you to just fucking show up for me right now. And we had a really awkward lunch. And I went over to his house and we were sitting on his veranda or whatever. And he just, I could see him struggling with this. Like he just couldn't figure it out. And I was like, dad, check this out. I went to see a doctor about potentially taking hormones. And I asked the doctor, do you think that this, me being trans might have something to do with why I'm prone to bouts of like suicidal depression and I have crippling anxiety sometimes and like have these three day bouts of just black soul awful terror. And she said to me something that completely changed my entire understanding of the T in supposedly LGBT. She said there have been multiple reputable studies done where they've dissected the cadavers of transgender people and their brains have been found to more closely resemble that of their quote-unquote chosen gender than that of their biological sex. Mm -hmm. And I finally got to say to him, I know what my biology is. You're aligning with your biology. I am aligning with my biology. And what I, the analogy that I used for him was, look, this is what I've learned about my brain. If my brain, if you ask an identical twin what makes up the essence of who somebody is, they're not going to tell you it's the body you come in. You know what I mean? It's who you are on the inside. It's your psyche. It's your mind. So if my brain is a male brain, Mm -hmm. that's probably 85, 90% of who I am. Mm. But what you see is the skin suit that I come in. Mm -hmm. 
So if you call me she, you are erasing mm-hmm. the only shot I've got at screaming to the world of who I really am. You are erasing that 85, 90% majority of who I actually am and reducing me to the thing that matters the least, which is the skin suit that I come in. Mm. Mm. Totally. And I watched his brain explode and he was just like, I get it now. Oh. <laughs> so how do you feel? How, and did, did your mom come around too or? Is she coming? My mom is just starting to. So she (laughs) just for the first time a couple months ago said, referred to me as a female bodied person. And I was like, you know, and she said to me on the phone, she called me. We're in an airport leaving New York. My girlfriend and I, current girlfriend, who it's a whole other fucking ballgame being with somebody who actually loves you for who you are. Wow. Let's get back to that. I have so many things to ask you right now. It's on my list. And she called me and she said, you know, I want you to know something. You are the first female born person. And I was like, all right, I'll take Mm -hmm. that. That's Mm -hmm. a victory. In our entire family lineage to own property without the help of a man. Hmm. And I was like, all right, I see where you're coming from. Like, I see why you're so attached to this narrative of me being your daughter. Because to you, it has this historical context of me being a quote-unquote woman who's achieved all this shit and broken the norms and has agency. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it kind of broke my heart for her a little Mm -hmm. bit because I was like, this sucks that I can't actually be that for you. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I do have tits and a vagina, so I'm down to like play the dress up for you if you want. Are you able... Where I have so many things to ask. I don't know where to start. What what's the what's the you listener can't see them fighting with each other with their eyeballs over who gets to ask the question next. It's hilarious. Are you able to forgive? Of course. I wouldn't have a relationship with my mom if I wasn't able to forgive and my dad. I just feel forgiveness. It's something that's been very healing for me lately, and it 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 really takes a lot to forgive people that erase you. If somebody erases me, who understands? somebody hears everything that I just said and makes the conscious choice to say, no, the body you come in is the body that you come in because I believe that to be the case. In the face of evidence, in the face of science, in the face of proven fact, you still look at me and you say, I'm going to call you she. Fuck you. Go fuck yourself. And until you come around, lose my fucking number. But if you make that mistake in context of hundreds of years of miseducation about what's Mm. in front of you, I can't blame you for that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it fucking hurt. Mm -hmm. But what only thing that matters to me is that you try. There's nothing that I respect more than a person who is like, yo, this is the way I've been educated and socialized for all this time and there's a bell ringing somewhere that there's something wrong with that and I would like you to help me get right with the world, I will fucking walk you down the aisle of your education about this shit, no problem. Mm -hmm. Because I was so off. Right, I mean, that's what's so interesting to me is how you were saying that you Mm -hmm. have always been trans but you didn't, Mm -hmm. no, you weren't educated on any of it. Dude, I was the number one candidate for like, awareness of my own transness or mm-hmm. awareness of like what I was dealing with. I lived as a boy for eight years of my childhood. <laughs> I wasn't shamed for it. My parents were like at least chill with it at the time. You would think. And then I was quote unquote gay. And I grew up to be this kind of like androgynous person where people were always calling me sir, ma'am and getting it confused and panicking. 
there's a funny story about a cop in Texas who pulled me over for doing 130 in an 80, and then I got out of the car, and he was like, sir, ma'am, sir, ma'am, sir, ma'am, ma'am, fuck. Still want to give me a ticket? He did. Um, I I would have been the prime candidate to question and ask, and it's really a testament to how ingrained Mm -hmm. our phobia of transness is in ourselves that somebody like me could get to 28 before they were like hold the phone mm-hmm. it's so good for other younger people Sat- to hear oh, and this it happened right now in your, during your Saturn return that oh yeah sense. the first question happened when I was like 20 27 and a half yeah that's when it all there. begins the Saturn yes. return wait so, no it's oh. definitely my turn now okay go ahead <laughs> absolutely I'm sorry <laughs> um okay so I remember during your uh what's on your what's underneath interview a few years ago you said that you it was while you were questioning all of this and you were saying that you never um felt like the narrative of hating your body was like part of your experience and that Mm -hmm. was something that you were grappling Mm -hmm. with like do you where are you at with that now i was in so much denial about Mm -hmm. how much discomfort i had existed in my whole life Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i had adapted myself to a version of life where i was constantly either hunching or stretching my chest out, whichever version of experience I was trying to conjure in the people who were looking at me. Hunching to be perceived as a man and stretching it out to be a woman. Correct. Like if I'm in a women's room, I'm always stretching my chest out. If I'm Mm -hmm. in the men's room, I'm hunching over. There was like Mm -hmm. always a dance of that going on. Mm -hmm. And Tyler, the end of the conversation about like how do you feel was him saying, if you could go home to LA tomorrow and like wake up and throw on some trunks and like whip off your t-shirt and go to the pool how would you feel and i like almost started to cry because i realized that i have been carrying discomfort around having breasts my entire life Mm -hmm. and having hips or having a feminine voice, which I don't think I have a super feminine voice, but it is the number one tip off. Somebody hears my voice, they're like, hello, ma'am. And I'm Mm. like, snooze the fucking dwarf. But I now realize, I am now allowing myself to be cognizant of how uncomfortable my body makes me. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, did the chicken come before the egg? Was it the discomfort caused by realizing that I was trans? Was I really fine with it before when I thought that I identified as a woman? I don't know. Right. But now I'm certainly aware of the fact that I'm like, can't fucking wait to get these off my body, which leads me to something that y'all are gonna be so excited about, Mm. which is the issue of having children. I know I wanna have a kid that's related to me. What does that mean for me potentially taking testosterone, which I don't even know if I wanna do anyway, which is a whole other layer Mm -hmm. to this fucking conversation. But I went and I talked to a fertility doctor about freezing my eggs and she basically let me know that it's like at best a 70% chance of success and it's $13,000 per round and you maybe get two viable embryos out of whatever my fertility is. I think it was like 20 eggs or something. She was like, wow, you're remarkably fertile. Thank you, Yahweh or whoever. Mm -hmm. I have some eggs to deal with. (laughs) Out of that, I would probably end up with like two viable ones. So it's 13000 bucks for those two viable embryos who maybe have a 70% chance of success anyway. So basically I was like, okay, I don't know if I want to take testosterone, but I know I'm not going to make that decision until after either I freeze my eggs and then somebody gets pregnant or I carry a kid myself. And at that point I was like, I'm not carrying a kid because I'm a man. 
and I don't think that's what I should do anymore. And that would really fuck me up to have people like you. It's really right. tough to be like, I'm seven months pregnant, but I really need you to call me he. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. that's that's another really layer. pushing it. Yeah. I think you have every right to ask it, but like chances of if success are, are low. Struggling with it, yeah, right? Exactly. I mean, you do have the right. Totally. As a super andro boyish looking yeah. human and people are struggling with it now, right. the resentment that I would feel at that point right. would just be exponential. So I'd rather just fucking let it go. Right. So <laughs> I. Although if then, anyone could do it, I mean, that would really be. As a test of. It would be the ultimate yeah. revolution. It would be the ultimate fuck you. Well, no, the ultimate would- fuck you I figured out is I was in Paris in December with my girlfriend who we were just kind of figuring out that we loved each other. <laughs> and we, I was like, wait a second. Why am I kowtowing to this bullshit system? What is this bullshit that I can't carry a child because I'm a man? What the mm-hmm. fuck is that? So basically, my plan currently <laughs> is to give birth to a kid. Wow. And immediately, as soon as I'm, that kid's done sucking on him, get rid of my tits. And... Wow maybe potentially take hormones later i don't know wow. hair loss is a really gnarly thing but who knows testosterone is a big question mark for other reasons but right now i'm like i'm gonna give birth to my kid and they're gonna be like my dad gave birth to me oh my god wow and i absolutely recognize that that is an entirely unique to me and because i was raised by punks in the 80s in new york city Whatever the reasons are that that's that my you attitude. have this craving so much to have. A, a well, child. no, the fact yeah. that like that, that too, flexibility I mean. within my yeah. gender or whatever, like I don't. It will no, be I hard nine months. Like, but ultimately, I care more about being a punk than I care about like nine months of suck. <laughs> so when you can I ask you? Okay, fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when you say that you knew. That you were a man inside. Can you describe what you mean by that? How that feels? Yes. What does that feel like? You know, having people call you he in your own circle for three years and having a whole world tell you that you're wrong and you're sick and you're making shit up and you're just deciding that you want to be something causes a lot of confusion and a lot of dichotomy in yourself. And I am not immune to questioning my own shit. And I hope that I never become too sure of myself where I don't question things. So for sure, there's these moments sometimes where my girlfriend will be like, I have the best boyfriend in the world or something along those lines. And I'll be like, am I lying? Am I living a fantasy? Like, am I, is Mm -hmm. this real? Or, you know, I allow Mm -hmm. myself those questions, but if I erase... If I consciously push away conversations that have been planted there by other people and things that have been planted there by society and debates from people who have no experience of what I'm experiencing, it's just very clear. Mm-hmm. And no I, way of describing it. Kind of. It's just like, how do you know that you're gay? Right. right. It, you just... How do I know I want to wear these pants? Because they feel mm-hmm. right. Was there ever a point where you considered like the the realm of like identifying as gender nonconforming and using they them pronouns? Was that ever or, or always felt wrong to me? That always felt can you explain that? Like if there if there's anything to say. I about think that? it was because I have always felt that I was a boy, like mm-hmm. very consequently. Mm-hmm. 
other people perceive me to be very in between. Mm-hmm. And that's often what I hear from my friend. Like my friend last night was like, I've never perceived you as a girl or a boy. My dad says that all the time. A lot of people say that to me. Right. You're just you. You're just Io. Mm-hmm. And that's frustrating for me in a way because I'm like, yeah, of course I'm technically in between because I have a girl's body and I'm always going to be a boy with a girl's accent no matter what I do because I've lived 30 at that point, probably 34 years, 35 years in a female form. I'm always going to have had this experience of in-betweenness or whatever. But if you, again, separated the form that I'm stuck with from what I've got in here up in this cabeza, it would be very cut and dry. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, right. that's that's a boy. That's right. a man. There just as easily could have been a boy that came out of my mom's womb as there was a female, but something got skewed somewhere in there and like the chromosomes got crossed or whatever, and like you have a vagina with a male brain, and I'm not the only one. It's not a matter of the all the things that we do attribute, like men are more this and women are more this, and that's all It's nothing to do with that. That's it's all, all made up, up too. That's or, all up for grabs. And we don't all up for grabs, and that's. I don't know if that's yeah. all made up. I like I talked to my friend Amber, yeah. and she's like one of the most hyper feminine human beings I've ever seen in my life. And she finally started to understand what I was saying to her when I told her that I was trans, only when she compared it to her own experience of quote unquote feminine things. Right. She was like, if you told me that I had to wear work pants and Doc yeah, Martens every I day, I would kill myself. Me too. Me too. She's like, if you took away my femininity, that is so fundamentally who I am. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I would not argue that. Yeah, I, I, you know who, that's who, who, the all chicken and the egg created. is very confusing about feminine. It's all very fascinating and a whole other subject for a whole other the masculine, feminine, what that is. And yeah, I would love to hear a little bit more about your experience dating in the last few years. And you, you've mentioned, you've hinted at it that like sure. you were with someone who said it when you broke up said that they she couldn't be with a trans person Mm -hmm. she could only be with a gay woman Mm -hmm. i think is what you said and that now you actually are realizing what like true love actually feels like and being Mm -hmm. seen actually feels like can you talk a little bit more about like that journey of people seeing you as a gay woman versus seeing you as a trans Mm man i think everybody a lot of people ask me like what i'm most afraid of and i think I, like everyone else on the planet, has the unshakable fear that I'm unlovable Mm -hmm. on a really deep fundamental level for whatever my Mm -hmm. flaws are. But when you're trans, you're positioned as a freak Mm -hmm. in life. And actually, I had an interesting conversation with my book agent the other day about what happened to my book. And he said, you know, you have to understand that he said something that really changed my understanding of why people have such a hard time with trans people. He's like, you have to understand that historically, now we have representation of trans people in common media and public media, but most of it involves people who are unhinged, on drugs, um, unsavory for one reason or another, and we don't have any association of trustworthiness Mm -hmm. with trans people. So when you write a memoir or you talk about your experience, people have to buy in to you as someone who's telling the truth or it's not ever going to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And my mind just exploded because I was like, it's so fucking true. We see trans people as people who are lying Mm -hmm. or asking Mm -hmm. you to go on some fantasy adventure with them to like satiate some fantastical version of themselves that they have in their head. Mm -hmm. And that positioning makes it very hard to ask someone to trust you. Mm. 
if you carry that within yourself, that question that I mentioned before of like, am I lying? Right. It becomes really hard to enter into interpersonal relationships with people where the fundamental element of this working is trust. And I, in the beginning, when I first came out, I was like, oh my God, I am unlovable. Especially if I take hormones and my body changes and I'm even more of a eunuch than I was before, I'm definitely unlovable. That was my fear. I dated a person who had only recently come out. She was 30 when she came out as gay, she thought. And she met me on the day of my reading of my book in Los Angeles. So her first introduction to me, I was like, we had coffee in the morning. I was like, I'm really sorry. This is such a douchey move. But I have a thing tonight. If you want to come, it's going to involve you listening to me talking about myself. But I mean, you might as well get a crash course and see if you're up for this. And she was like, cool. And so she came and only to say that she was very, very aware of what she was getting into from the beginning. Right. And she'd only dated two feminine women before me and then me and then all of a sudden we were like wait you know this is something real and the connection is real and she started to express kind of panic about what this meant about her own identity Mm -hmm. which i think is something that a lot of trans people deal with because it's like again last night we were at dinner and my friend says to my girlfriend rachel well so how does what does this mean for your identity and rachel is 39 doesn't give a fuck she's like i don't give like this isn't I'm, I'm me and he's him and like that doesn't is like mm-hmm. it's not about me but somebody who's a little less secure in who they are is like well I don't know and so this person who I dated was like am I even a lesbian anymore and like what does this mean and started to freak out and at one point goes well so maybe her identity at that point was a lesbian yes okay. and so like three months in very in she was like maybe we should just end this now because I don't think I could ever be with a man if you transitioned Mm. And I was like, okay. And like started, you know, whatever the emotional response to that is, like tears and whatever, comes running outside chasing me down. No, 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 never mind, never mind, never mind. Mm. I'm like, okay. And she's like, just be patient with me. It's a learning curve. Okay. Six months in, same thing happens again. I shaved my head and I came home and she pulled up and she looked at me sitting on the stoop and stayed in her car talking to someone frantically on the telephone. And I was like, uh oh. And she came up to me and like kind of like kissed me on the head like a peck and mm. like ran inside and wouldn't touch me and sat on the bed with me and goes, I see you. I see you coming into yourself. And it is no longer possible for me to pretend to myself that I'm dating a woman. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you're pretending to yourself. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. again, I go outside. I'm like, go for a walk. I'm like, what am I doing? Am I putting myself in a situation of like, danger from my own psyche Mm -hmm. chases me down i'm so sorry i'm learning i'm learning i'm learning uh nine months in goes on a vacation with uh one of our good friends who's a feminine lesbian and long story short starts an affair with her and between leaving for the airport where we're like talking about our relationship and like what we're gonna do the business we're gonna start the dog we adopted the house that we live in together whatever and one week later she drops off the face of the earth and comes back to LA and sends me an email that's effectively like, I've realized that I can't be with a man and I need to be with women and this is something that's like deep-seated in me and I gotta go. Hmm. One week to the next, everything's gone. And that moment is your worst fear. 
Mm-hmm. It's everything you fear that if I am honest about this thing, that it would be so much conceivably easier to just put a blanket over and be like, no, 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 I'm just a girl, I'm just a girl who's masculine. This thing is going to cost me everything. And it really fucked me up. Mm-hmm. And luckily I have friends around me who are like, oh, fuck no. That has nothing to do with you, and that is a psychotic level of self-denial for nine months that you could go that far into a relationship and not be honest about the fact that you're with a trans person who is sitting in front of you telling you that they are a man. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with Was, you. Was um, she calling you he yeah. the whole time? Yeah, yeah, yeah from day one. Right. Like, right. she knew. And they swept me up and they were like, Mm-mm. like mm-hmm. you're not internalizing this. And they forced me to go out and sleep with other people who knew exactly who I was and who were fucking into it. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, no, 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 nope. Not even one little ounce of this is getting through the door of your mind. Like, mm-hmm. no. And they totally. saved me in that moment. And for people that don't have friends like that and don't have people who understand them that well, that that is like the most devastating thing that can happen. Somebody mm-hmm. you really think you're gonna be in a real relationship with. So I spent four or five months by myself and just was kind of like, wow, how do I learn to love myself for who I actually am? I was such a like man in a midlife crisis where like a 22-year-old like left a drool emoji on a picture of me on Instagram and I was like, sup? Mm-hmm. You know, because like I needed to understand that people were into me as I was. Mm-hmm. And I like fucked everything that moved for five months and it was fucking fantastic. And sometimes you need to do that. And if you are questioning whether or not people are ever going to find you attractive, go find out. So I did, or at least that's what I, that's worked for me. <laughs> And so at the end of that, you know, four or five months, um, I met the person who I would say is probably the love of my life. And she's 39 and entirely self-sufficient emotionally and physically and financially and just generally a person who really takes responsibility for herself mm-hmm. and isn't concerned with what my identity means about her identity. Mm-hmm and just takes me for what she experiences me to be instead of filtering that through the cheese grater of labels and society and Mm -hmm. all of this Mm -hmm. shit. She just looks at me and tries to like feel my heart. Mm -hmm. You're a person. And my God, like forget for trans people, for every human that is the greatest gift Mm -hmm. is being in a relationship with a person who's trying to actually experience you for who you fucking are instead of what they need you to be or expect you to be or want you to be. I mean, that's ultimately the ultimate message of everything. Like what, what else is there? Who they are. What, what is the other message? There is no other message. Everything that's coming down right now in all areas, um, both in, 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 you know, racial and, and gender and everything is just, I mean, hopefully we're all coming to this place. Like, that's where it's going. My revolution that I li- try to live every day is grabbing my brain as it defaults into divisions between people or is, as it defaults into expectations of people based on what I've been told about their type Mm -hmm. in advance and dismantling that. Mm -hmm. And it takes so much work on Mm -hmm. a daily basis to not be like, well, this person's going to respond this way because they're Jewish. And I make all the Jewish jokes (laughs) in the world because I'm Jewish. And I'm like, well, you're such a Jewish mom. And I realize that all that shit, it permeates and it it allows this way of thinking to survive 
that allows us to dismiss the humanity of someone else or the nuance mm-hmm. of someone else's existence well because they're part of that group and well you know what they do we're terrified of what we don't know and so when you're faced with something that you don't know it's easier to push to it away it. and to hate it and to erase it or than to it just is generalize to it. than it is to uh, or to generalize it. it than it is to go into it and what that means for what how you have to unravel within yourself and the things that the belief system that you've lived with and what you know to be yourself they would it would challenge all of that well and also we can all five of us be sitting in this room and leave this room with a completely different experience of what happened you could hate me you could love me you can never want to see me again. Who knows? <laughs> I love you. So. <laughs> Thank you. But <laughs> the point of that is we have the experience that we want to have of people. So if I sit in a room with a black person and I've decided that black people are X, Y, and Z, I'm going to look for everything that they say that proves my case. Mm-hmm. So what I try to do on a daily basis is allow people to formulate my own understanding of who they are instead of sitting there and trying to prove a case that I already have formed about them. And that is really hard. It's a lot of daily work because no matter what social group we fall into, no matter what minority you are, you are fucking biased because that is the world that we live in. There's Mm -hmm. 7 billion people on this planet. You can't meet every type of human and you hear news and information about them. So you make assumptions about their type of people. We are all complicit in that system. Mm -hmm. All of us. And the idea that anybody's so low on the privileged totem pole that they don't have to take part in this kind of personal psychological revolution is the biggest crock of shit. Mm -hmm. We are all discriminatory. We are all unconsciously biased. And we all have to make a really concerted effort to greet people as human beings rather than two-dimensional cutouts representing their stereotype. And sometimes people are such a walking stereotype. You're like, you're like a fucking Portlandia episode. I can't. I gotta go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I I know. I feel like we perfect. should, Mo. I feel like as much as we should, we should end. But I but I I was so moved by um, on social media on YouTube how last in June you talked so openly about your like depression and right. suicide and like mm. suicidal and I was going to ask ideation. You become more yeah yeah and and after mm-hmm. Anthony Bourdain mm-hmm. has was that do you feel that that those moments those in your life or I don't know if they're continual or what those moments that you've struggled with like dark depression um were linked to like were they before you totally you found you you became that was transition I was diagnosed with PTSD three years ago Mm -hmm. and only because I asked my therapist Mm -hmm. I was like yo do you think I have PTSD and she was like well why are you asking and I said because it would really help me to understand why I have these like three-day bouts of the walls closing in and everything goes absolutely belly up and she's like yeah of course you have PTSD I was like well thanks for letting me know bro and I understand now that a lot of what I was experiencing was to do with PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... Like from, tri- from childhood from related, childhood. like the, the, the sort of lack of feeling protected in the... Like, from all the trauma related yeah. to growing up with an addict, right. alcoholic, right. psychotic person. And being, confu- being in a body that... I don't actually think, I wouldn't say my PTSD has to do with that. Yeah, that's what I wanted to just I think my PTSD has to do with the neglect that I experienced as a kid and like really severe personalities, situations around me and um, lack of safety because the things that brings it on, the things that brings on these like really intense bouts of panic, fear and like I can't 
I'm not made for this planet is sudden severe change. And that doesn't have to do with my gender. That has to do with my parents. Actually, there was a long time where I felt there was something bad about me. And after I came out, I'm not going to say it's because I came out, but since then, since I've like feel like I'm living a really honest, transparent life, that's kind of dissipated and gone away. Mm-hmm. I was going that's one of the my was going to be my last question. What was? Whether that's gone away since right. it's just come out. Mhm. He it's just <laughs> Who knows? Maybe we'll Please cut it. Maybe we in. will cut it on. Don't that. cut that out. Okay. That no, we perfect. won't. We won't. It's okay. So we Mom. leave in all my things I do. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. I'm fine with it. We, I think it's good. we like we leave in lots of Elisa getting schooled moments. Yeah. Oh, awesome. We do. Um, and Lily. Yeah, and I just want to say, like, on my fuck up, just now. <laughs> no, but I just want to say this that I think one of the most important things in life is to not be defensive and to admit your mistakes freely and to be cool with how fallible we all are. Like, I think that's really important. It's also really important that that stays in because look at who you are and what you're doing and who you interact with in your life. And it's really important for no one to think that they are immune to making mistakes. Mm -hmm. In that context, because if there's anything I've learned, it's that liberal people, queer people, open-minded people make just as many mistakes as anybody else. Thank you so much. Thank you so, 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 so much. It's my pleasure, always. We hope you were inspired by this episode. Until next week, that's it from me, Elisa. And me, Lily. If you agree that facades separate us and being radically honest brings us together, help spread the movement for radical self-acceptance by sharing this episode and subscribing to our podcast. You can also watch our videos by subscribing to our YouTube channel and following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook using the handle at StyleIQ. That's the letter U instead of the word U. And check out our book, True Style is What's Underneath, The Self-Acceptance Revolution, on Amazon or at a local bookstore near you. We can't skip ahead to a happy ending or live inside a photoshopped image or an Instagram filter. There's no finding oneself when glossing over the truth. Life moves fast. It's good to take a step back and appreciate the little things in life. On Simply Complex, we dive into those professions, items, and processes we often drive past in a blur or take for granted in our daily rush. Subscribe to Simply Complex on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening most to take a deeper look into the deceptively simple things in our lives that are actually extremely complex. Hi, guys. I'm Kyla Coleman. You might know me from Cycle 24 of America's Next Top Model. I have a brand new podcast called Not So Glamorous. On this podcast, I'll be taking off the eyeshadow, trading in my heels for some comfy shoes, and I'll tell you all about what happens before, during, and after the runway. Each week, I'll be covering a different topic in the world of modeling on Not So Glamorous. Find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. See you soon.